The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And a good day to you. I hope you're having one. Thanks for tuning in to Winning Ponies. Hope to have another blockbuster show for you this week. Of course, last week, we had Hall of Famer Julie Crone on the show, and Good luck to Julie, because I believe it is tomorrow that she will be uh, riding at Doncaster. I noticed that uh, Jay Havde uh, posted a story on Camelot from over there. He's uh, going for the English Triple Crown, Camelot is. So uh, thanks again to Julie for being on the show. Appreciate it. And uh, also uh, Dave Lifton, top capper from New York, was with us too. And uh, we hope to bring you just a good handicapper in Byron King, of course, uh, Byron is uh, one of the better handicappers for the daily racing form. And then we're going to talk to uh, the, the Bloodstock editor of the Blood Horse magazine, D.D. Biles. Uh, D.D. puts out a uh, column every year called uh, September Stars. Uh, these select horses could shine. And she has a pretty amazing record at uh, analyzing the catalog at Keeneland, and I think she does it through interviews and on-site inspection, talking to buyers and sellers, and her, her percentage of coming up with some of the sales toppers is is pretty amazing. As a matter of fact, I spoke to her a little while ago. She was in her uh, post-sales uh, conference for today, and uh, she'll give us the latest from Keeneland. So Dee Dee Biles and Byron King will be on the show with us today. Well, uh, again, the Keeneland September sale kicked off. Uh, this is where the biggins come from. There's no doubt about it. And uh, looks like uh, things are looking good. At least somebody's got some money in this day and age. Uh, things are up. They changed the format a little bit. The select portion, which is the creme de la creme, uh, stood alone this year. So it's kind of hard uh, comparing figures. Um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, it, it was very powerful. Uh, they had the, num- the numbers were up in the select sale. Uh, the average price, I'm sure most of you people have this lying around, uh, 403000 uh, According to Walt Robertson, uh, Keeneland's vice president of sales, that it was a good horse sale. Uh, he always liked to sell a few more, but uh, it's very selective. Of course, at those price letters <laughs> levels, you better be selective. Uh, five yearlings commanded a uh, million dollars or more, uh, led by $1.65 million paid by Shadwell uh, for a colt by Distorted Humor. Uh, so that'll go to Sheikh Hamdan bin Rashid Al Maktoum of Dubai. He purchased four yearlings for $3.8 million. And this was just early on. Uh, of course, uh, for $1.3 million, you could get a half-sister to Bodie Meister, uh, winner of the Arkansas Derby, and second, I'll have another in the Derby and the Preakness. And guess what? Bodie Meister's trainer, Bob Baffert, has already been named as the trainer of that sales yearling. 
then uh, let's see, we had uh, a filly out of uh, Arlington, Washington, Lassie winner, Moonlight Sonata, uh, who's a half-sister to uh, Wilburn and Beethoven, brought a nice price, and a half-brother to Contested, who we saw win uh, the uh, Acorn and Test recently. Uh, contested uh, half-brother went for just over a million dollars. Uh, so, uh, again, uh, Didi will be giving us uh, some more updates on what's going on at, at Keeneland. Uh, as far as the Stallions were concerned, well, right now it looks like at the top is Distorted Humor. Uh, distorted Humor led the list so far with an average of 605000 for his yearlings. Right behind, well, it's his last crop. There will be no more. AP Indies, and uh, he had six yearlings sell for an average of $600,000. Uh, then uh, round up the usual suspects. Um, uh, Street Cry, 556000 Smart Strike, 522 And Empire Maker, who, uh, as we reported when we were talking about I'll, I'll Have Another, is another horse that is over in Japan right now. So, uh he he brought three hundred and ninety thousand. We'll see if any of his uh, sons can uh, continue to uh, do well by the family. Uh, the uh, day two was strong. Uh, four horses had prices of a half a million or more. Uh, the top was a seven hundred thousand dollar Tappet Colt, full brother to the winner Dance Card. Uh, then uh, on on Wednesday went back up into the million dollar range. One point five five million dollar. Bernardini Coat. Uh, he's a half-brother to grade one winner Stormello. Uh, this horse was raised by uh, Bill and Betty Curlin in their, in their 70s. His other half-brother was my best brother, who just got hot. Uh, recently won the Del Mar Derby the week before the sale. Uh, that always helps. And five other, other horses on Wednesday went for over the half-a-million-dollar mark. And if you're looking to go in partners, Todd Pletcher's looking for a few good men. That's right. Today... He bought a $750,000 Giants Causeway Colt, and he says that he is going to be uh, looking to put together a partnership. So Todd Pletcher uh, certainly knows how to train the good ones, but usually somebody else plunks down the $750,000. Well, uh, if you want to read about a nice little track, go to Winning Pony's blog site and read a story called Pleasureville. In doing so, you'll take a little trip down to Kentucky Downs. Their handle was up 75%. Uh, Corey Johnson, of course, who's been a guest with us on Winning Ponies, uh, attributes so much of it to the instant racing, which is now in place, as we reported two weeks ago, uh, down at uh, Ellis Park. And uh, it's just an amazing place to go if you have not been there. Uh, later in the show, we'll be handicapping one of the races from Kentucky Downs. They have four stakes coming up uh, on this this weekend. Uh, Roddy Strada, eight-year-old, will be defending his championship in the $200,000 Turf Cup. Uh, we're going to be uh, handicapping that race. And, uh, again, if you haven't been there, it's not an exact oval. It's very European. You, you start out flat. You go down a hill and around and then come back up just like uh, in so many tra- uh, courses in Europe. So uh, congratulations to Kentucky Downs. Glad to see them finishing on an upswing. Here's some information that's kind of interesting that came out of Louisville this week, and that's that Churchill may look for September dates. Uh, 
that could really uh, shake things up on the Kentucky circuit. Normally, Kentucky tracks hand the meat off from one to another uh, between Turfway to Keeneland to Churchill, uh, back to uh, Turfway, back to Keeneland, back to Churchill. And, of course, Kentucky Downs is kind of a set-aside meat with just a few uh, days, uh, very boutique meat. But uh, this could really uh, upset the apple cart, and a lot of people think it, it might not bode too well uh, for Turfway because they would be racing right on top of each other. And uh, But they say that, uh, you know, it, it's been proposed. They're going to find out. I believe uh, that the, the dates are going to be put out uh, in just a couple of weeks. So uh, we, will, we will find out. Plus, Kentucky Downs, I think they're going to ask for a few more days themselves. Well, you better hold on to your reins. The Killer Bees, Bob Baffert, said that Chantel Sutherland will be replaced by Rafael Bejarano. Uh, as you know, Game On Dude uh, came up just a little bit short in his last race, uh, finishing second to Doolahan, who was quite impressive in his own right. Uh, but as you know, all season long we've been talking about Bejarano and Baffert, and he just said uh, that uh, the time was right to make the switch, so... Uh, Raphael's our main rider, and we want him to have our number one rider and our number one horses, Baffert said. So uh, that's what uh, that's what he said. He said it was difficult for him to tell Chantel about the decision. They made history together, but it's time to make a change. All right, while well, talking about top jocks, it looks like Junior Alvarado will be out for a while. Uh, he fractured his collarbone in a spill aboard uh, Palace in last Saturday's seventh race at Belmont Park. X-rays revealed the fracture. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to come back uh, after just a few weeks, but nonetheless, uh, we wish him the best. Okay, uh, Steve Morgulian, one of the good guys here uh, in the local circuit, he had to retire from training a few years ago because of uh, diabetes, and apparently um, he went into uh, insulin shock on Tuesday when he was clearing some brush along the river by his home, and uh, sad to say he, he passed away. Uh, anybody that knew uh, Morgulian will tell you he was just a top-class uh, horseman and a great family man. Um, he won uh, over $12 million and won 61 stakes races, so he will be missed. Again, uh, we talked to Jay Hobday uh, two weeks ago, and now uh, we, he's over in England and uh, at Doncaster, and uh, history could uh, be made over there as... It looks like Camelot, what a great name for a horse, uh, is going to try to make history and take the English Triple Crown. Now, this race has been run 236 times. The St. Leger is the one that will uh, round it out. And who else would be training this undefeated horse but Aidan O'Brien? And uh, his son, the 18-year-old lanky Joe O'Brien, will be in the saddle uh, and Camelot, again, uh, could uh, could ride into history and could also help give uh, Aiden O'Brien history. Uh, apart from this attempt, where he'll be the first horse, I believe, since Nijinsky, only the 16th to win the English Triple Crown, uh, it could give us another interesting uh, point in turf history because it would make Aiden O'Brien the first trainer to win all five British Classics in a single season. What an amazing trainer. All right, uh, I've been waiting all week to see this, and I was uh, looking forward to the positive news, and it is good. It looks like Painter is out of his stall and grazing, which means he's, he's walking a little 
bit better. Uh, he had contracted some uh, laminitis after uh, his battle with uh, colitis, and uh, they say that he's showing positive signs. Uh, of course, he uh, won the Haskell and was a runner-up in the Belmont Stakes this year, and what they're saying is that uh, he no longer has a fever and his blood works normal and protein level good, so that is some very good news. Also, on the good news front, Animal Kingdom, back in training. As a matter of fact, he's not only back in training, but uh, he has recorded now three workouts in 16 days. Now, Grand Motion says a horse of his caliber, he may not be ducking anybody. He says it's not out of the uh, realm of possibility that you could see him in a Breeders' Cup race, and he feels that his comeback race is not going to be uh, just a real soft one. Of course, he was given plenty of time to recover uh, from a uh, an ankle injury. I'm sorry, it was a pelvic uh, injury well, when he was prepping for the Dubai World Cup. It's a shame he couldn't make it, but I think it's great that he is still in training. I'd love to see him make it back to the races. Also, another horse that we'd like to see come back is Nate's Mineshaft. Uh, he's back working. Uh, we had Kep Smith on the show a couple months ago uh, when Nate's Mineshaft was, was tearing it up. He was uh, third in, in the Stephen Foster, uh, but before that uh, just uh, went on a reel when he won the Mineshaft Handicap and the New Orleans Handicap. So we gave him a race, and he's bringing him back. And uh, he'll be in, in the Chicago area. And uh, best of luck, he's pointing towards the Hawthorne Gold Cup on October 8th. All right, let's take a look now at some of the races that we looked at last week. And it was time for the Super Derby. And it looks like Bourbon Courage uh, is just getting better and better, making only his sixth lifetime start. The son of Lionheart came from eighth to seventh to fifth to first. One going away by five over Fly Lexus Fly and Master Rick. The, the favorite was Blue Skies and Rainbows. Uh, Joe Talamo riding for Bob Baffert. Uh, they looked awful good. They were out there on the lead and then just faded and did not even land on the board. At Belmont Park, I'll tell you what, the Bowling Green did not have a big field, but it was a very, very exciting race. Uh, Edgar Prado on Bambaguia led pretty much the whole way, and uh, uh, Johnny V had to really go to work for Shug McGahee on air support uh, and just got up in the final strides. Of course, air support, been uh, running behind Turbo Compressor, a very nice horse in his own right. So, again, he takes the Bowling Green grade two at a mile and a quarter at Belmont Park. From there, we went up and we uh, took a look at some babies, and we found some interesting ones in Chicago. Uh, Talking to Dave Lifton, I thought one of the most interesting things I saw in the Arlington, Washington Futurity, the grade three for the boys going a mile, is the fact that Garrett Gomez was coming in from California to ride this horse, Pataki Kid, who he had never even been on before. Of course, Tom Proctor goes out west every year, and I'm sure he's ridden Gomez. Uh, he rated this horse, which sometimes is hard with a two-year-old, and uh, ran down Muppet Man. Now, Muppet Man, breaking from the rail, was the odds-on favorite. So you got Pataki Kid and Gomez to pay $6.80. Those were the two horses Dave and I liked the most. And for having two favorites... $15.20 uh, exacta was not 
too bad. Uh, then we uh, we turned it over to the ladies, the Arlington Washington Lassie, another grade three at a mile, and uh, this one was really an exciting race. I, I stuck around the track to make sure uh, I watched this race. Uh, uh, Gold Eagle, trained by Lon Wiggins, uh, rallied and came on. Didn't think he, he was going to get it. Uh, the, the horse that led the whole way at, at 36 to 1 was La Song and almost pulled an upset. Now, everybody was saying that Wayne Catalano's horse, Flying Rapunzel, was the one to beat, but at the wire, it was La Song that was the one to beat, and Gold Edge did it by a nose over La Song, and running third was Dancing in the Circle. Well, that takes a look at the national news and the races we handicapped. Uh, last week with Dave Lifton. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Dee Dee Biles, the Blood Sox sales editor, easy for me to say, of the Blood Horse magazine. She's given us a live report from the Vatican of horse racing, Keeneland Racecourse. We'll be right back on Winning Pony. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. If you're looking for a radio show about boxing, you usually can't find one until you stop by the Voice America Sports Channel. Tune in to Outside the Ring with former world lightweight champion and U.S. Olympian David Diaz. We'll deliver the knockout punches with our guests as we go inside the minds of today's top fighters. We'll throw in discussion of other sports as well from time to time. Outside the Ring with David Diaz airs every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time noon pacific on the voice america sports channel the opening kickoff is a beauty it's a fly ball deep right field that goes o'neill he's at the shot got it with 2.8 seconds left to left i don't care where they put him this one is out of here from high school to the pros we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me right now is the Bloodstock sales editor for the Blood Horse magazine, Dee Dee Biles. Now, she's worked for the Blood Horse for nearly 30 years. 
Uh, she comes out of North Carolina and still hasn't totally lost the accent since living in Lexington this long. Uh, she graduated from UNC Chapel Hill with a degree in journalism and recreation administration. Uh, she worked for newspapers in North Carolina and South Carolina, and I believe that she got exposed to racing through covering some stories as the sports editor of the Aiken Standard. As you know, a lot of these beautiful babies are broken down there in Aiken, and I think that's where she got the bug for the horses, but I'm going to ask her that question. Dee Dee, how you doing? Fine. How are you? I, I'm I'm just I'm just fit as a fiddle, and the, the weather's been beautiful up here. Uh, what I want to do is go back. I I kind of painted your your resume there a, a little bit, but uh, was your first exposure to, to horses, uh, you know, down there uh, at, at the Aiken Trials, or did you have any other exposure as as a young lady? Um, other than watching thoroughbred racing some on television, that was it. But I liked animals a whole lot, and I had a chance to either work in Virginia or in South Carolina. At the time, I covered general sports and NASCAR racing, and the Virginia paper, I would have covered NASCAR racing uh, in Aiken. They said, well, you can cover NASCAR racing, and we have horses, too, so that's what I went with. (laughs) Now, uh, the jump from the Aiken Standard to the Blood Horse. Were you trying to look for a job in Lexington, or how did that come about? Well, we got the Blood Horse in the Aiken Standard, and and they said to me at the Aiken Standard, you do a great job, but you want to stay in sports, and we're only going to pay a sports editor so much, so if you want to start looking, go ahead, and you know you can tell us that, and it won't bother us. So when I went looking for jobs, I specifically went after jobs in racing. I applied in Lexington, Louisville, to newspapers that covered racing and to magazines. Well, back then, they were still actually hiring turf riders. Yes, they were. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, I uh, interviewed for a job at the same time. I interviewed at the Blood Horse at the Louisville Courier-Journal. And uh, that job... um, they told me, they tell me in two weeks, they didn't. I took the job in the Blood Horse, and they called me, and I said, well, I had to give the Blood Horse an answer, and they said, we haven't decided yet. I said, well, I've decided, and that job went to Jenny Reese. Well, all I can say is two uh, of my favorite uh, female uh, turf riders uh, down in, in central Kentucky, you, you and Jenny. Now, you're down there right now. Uh, you, you've been at Keeneland. You've been covering the sales. And I, I really, uh, last year, I talked to Tom Lamar on these very airways and, and told him how impressed I was with your uh, article about September stars because I went down and saw how many of the horses. I mean, now, this year, you decided from that big catalog of uh, you know, sales horses, you pick 39 of them. And of those 39, at least from what I got off my computer, that's what I counted. Was there 40? Did I miss one? But uh, No, I don't know. Well, I, I counted 39. And of those, 16 of them sold for half a million dollars all the way up to, I believe, 1.55. So, uh, yeah, once again, you did a great job at, at, at pointing out some of the horses that people need to keep an eye out for. I'm surprised nobody has hired you as a bloodstock agent. But I've got to ask you, what, what work on your part goes into compiling uh, the September stars? I mean, uh, is it just the catalog? Do you actually look at some of these animals? Or is it mostly from interviewing and talking to buyers and sellers? Well, you know, I don't really look at pedigrees because 
if the horse is not doesn't isn't great physically, it's not going to matter. If it's bad physically, it really doesn't matter what its pedigree. It's probably not going to bring a lot of money. Um, I, I spend a lot of time asking consigners. Um, once in a while, the sale company might point you to one, or um, I know some buyers that they kind of help too. But your top end buyers, they're not going to help you out because they don't really want you promoting the horses that they'll be going after <laughs> and, and and jack up the prices. So <laughs> Good uh, point. it's just a lot of questions asking. Uh, you know, I do see them when I'm out and about, but I don't feel right asking them to pull out a horse just for me when they're very busy. I'm not going to be buying their horse, though many offer to show me. No. But I don't think I'm very good at confirmation. So most of it is from talking to consigners. Well, I would say for the most part, and I've been down there, the horses that are in the select sale, I can't separate them in confirmation because they all look like a sales topper. There's so many good-looking horses down there. And to, just to, if no one's ever been down there, kind of describe the activity and what goes on. Like you, you just said, I didn't want to ask anybody to take a horse out. But a horse could be taken in and out of its stall anywhere from 50 to 100 times in a day, can it? Oh, yes. And, uh, and really, they pretty much will take them out for anybody. I probably shouldn't say that, but... You know, say somebody comes along and they're dressed in jeans and they look ratty and they ask for you to take a horse out. If you don't, that could be a guy with millions of dollars. Right. You just don't know. Or it could be one of their representatives. So, um, you know, pretty much people who ask to see horses, they're going to get to see them. And uh, it can get very hectic and these horses are young and they're just experiencing this situation for the first time. It can... You know, the weather can be hot, it can be, um, and so it can be difficult on them. And so, you know, really, the, the least times that they have to come out necessary is probably best for them. And, and let's face it, the most popular ones are going to be out, you know, a hundred times. Right, right. The ones that, uh, what we what we call black type for people that aren't uh, used to uh, seeing a sales catalog, that the black type obviously means that, that you, you want or placed uh, in a graded stakes race. And so right. the page gets darker and darker uh, when, when you see those horses, so they do kind of stand out. Now, um, in, did you have, like coming into the sale uh, of the horses that you named uh, in your article, September Stars, did, did you, one pop off uh, the page to you that you really liked and thought would bring a high price? It did not, this sale. You know, once in a while you'll go to a sale and, they'll, and people will know who the star is by the time I get there. This year, um, there were a lot, lot of horses that were considered kind of on par and equal. Myself, I was thinking it would be maybe an AP Indy because this is his last crop, or it might be an Empire Maker because this is his last crop in America. He's now standing in Japan. And as it turned out, it was a cult by distorted humor out of a grade one winner. Uh, and I knew that horse was very good, but I he, I didn't realize he would top the sale. Well, my hat's off to you. You came up with five millionaires or horses that brought a million or more. Now, mm-hmm. he, again, I'm trying to educate our listeners as, as far as the, the sales and what they might see. And uh, another thing about the Keeneland sale, I think the last time I was down there, I wasn't sure if it was a social event or a serious sale. Have you seen a change in, in the ambiance of, of the Keeneland sale? Well, you know, it used to be that the 
July sale was the very glamorous sale where people took their best horses. You had a night session. People dressed up. There were big parties at the same time. And the September sale was sort of where you sold the rest of the horses and not the very best. If a very good, well-bred horse ended up there, it was because it had gotten maybe hurt or was sick at the time of the sale. And so it was a very business-like sale. And then when people realized that they could sell really good horses in September and it gave them extra time for those horses to mature, the September, the July sale kind of just lost its uh, appeal to consigners. And that sale eventually um, died out. And, um, and right now in the process, uh, you know, they did try two select sessions for the last two years at night to try to kind of jazz it up and get back to the glamour. This year there was only one select session. It started at 4 in the afternoon. And people right now are tending to want it to be more business-like, you know, have the horses here, let us go through them, let us get our job done. Well, I know last time I was down there, I, I think it was just people from the Lexington area said, hey, this would be a cool place to go and party. <laughs> and they were in the back in the bar area, not barn area, bar area. And I'm not sure any of them even looked up at the screen to see what the horses were taking. Now, I, I've got a question for you. Um, You've seen this or heard this that some people have idiosyncrasies, and all athletes do. But do buyers have idiosyncrasies? Like, let's say, do they stay away from a horse that has four white socks, like in Casey Shadow? Or, you know, I've heard over time that it's not good to buy a mare's first foal for some reason because she's never had a foal before. Uh, it doesn't get all the benefit and the nutrients, and it's not as strong as perhaps her second and third. Uh, tell me about that. Are there buyer idiosyncrasies? Um, yes, I mean, you know, um, you, the, the, they put up on the screen if a horse is a cribber, especially a broodmare. Explain and to our listeners what that is. Uh, they, they kind of grab onto like a fence and they'll kind of suck in air. And uh, that's not really a desirable trait. Um, but, but, you know, the four white feet thing, you know, and there may be some people that avoid that, but... And, and, you know, some people, and this has gotten to be, they don't like yearlings out of older mares, some people. They don't feel like they're uh, as robust or will perform as well that, you know, her insides are old now. And so a lot of people like yearlings out of young mares, uh, you know, maybe that are just off the racetrack. They're, and actually, they, they're, they're actually kind of liking their first foals, some of them. Well, yeah, I did see that well, one of them brought it for an awful good price. Exactly which one, I don't know. Uh, on the other hand, you can make examples of the opposite because I believe Northern Dancer was perhaps his mare's last foal. And there were some good horses yes, that, it was. Did, yeah, that did come out of, of older mares. Now, I've got another question for you and something that we can teach our listeners. Well, sometimes you'll see something. I'm sure they'll be flipping through the blood horse and they'll see this RNA and want to know what that means, which means reserve not attained. So somebody selling a horse can, unbeknownst to the bidders, put a price on it and say, if this horse doesn't bring blank 200000 I'm buying it back. Right. There was a horse in the, the first book that was reserved not attained for 975000 What does a consigner do with that horse after that? You know, a lot of people that breed upper-end horses 
they're wealthy, and they also have their own racing stables. So sometimes their attitude is, I think this is a really good horse. If you're not going to pay me what it's worth, I'm going to take this horse and I'm going to race it. It would be interesting over the years for somebody to do an analysis of RNAs and see if they ever earned what their buyback price was. You know, I've never done that, but it does happen from time to time. You you see seven-figure RNAs, and you wonder, you know, well, what 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 are you hoping to get? But, you know, you have to remember, some of these people are wealthy. They don't need this money to live on. It's not going to make or break their lives if this horse doesn't sell. And, uh, you know, they have nice racing programs, and they'll be happy to run the horse themselves. And that's what you've got to remember at the upper end of the market. Well, you, you've answered my question well. Um, I'm up against my break here but in about a minute. Can you kind of uh, capsulize what you're seeing at the sale and if, if this is a positive sign? I know that there's been a lot of buybacks, but that's good because people mean they don't want to give a good horse away. But uh, are, you, are you seeing this as kind of a positive that uh, it looks like some of the prices in general are that the industry is going forward? Well, here's what we got. After four sessions, our average is up 5.2%, and our median is the same as last year. Um, the number sold is down about 13%, but the gross is down only 8.5%. Uh, we've got seven horses that have brought seven-figure prices, million dollars or more, compared to six last year, and what it seems to be is a stable market. Well, that sounds and, pretty good. Yeah. And that's that's what it's looking like at this point. And for people who made it through the recession and had watched the falling prices, stable is just fine. That is great. Well, oh, thanks so much, ladies and gentlemen. We've been listening to the Bloodstock sales editor for the Blood Horse magazine, Dee Dee Biles. Dee Dee, thanks a lot. You do a great job down there at the Blood Horse. Well, thank you for having me, and I'll get back and write my online story now. <laughs> thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it. Coming Thank up you. Next, Bye-bye. Uh, we've got uh, Byron King, the king of the cappers in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And we'll be back to, uh, to talk about a unique little racetrack in Kentucky and then break out for the top races that you're going to be looking for this weekend. Again, you're listening to Winning Ponies. <laughs> Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Are you looking for the ultimate trail to hike? Maybe you're looking to do the ultimate backpacking adventure. Whether you're a day hiker or an all-out backpacker, be sure to tune in to Backpacking America's Trails with host Rob Maureen. We'll explore some of the most fascinating places on Earth. In addition, we'll talk about backpacking gear, including reviews, safety tips, and more. Our experts will share recipes, destinations, and skills to make backpacking the most enjoyable experience for you. Listen every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com. 
the home of the Easy Win Form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neill. He's a tough shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left. to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we, we cover everything. Cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, and with me, one of my my favorite handicappers, and I mean that sincerely. I love reading his columns in the daily racing form. Of course, he was probably born to do what he does. He grew up in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Then he took a route that I'm finding a lot of people in racing have taken by uh, going to the University of Arizona Racetrack Industry Program. Of course, even Bob Baffert graduated from there. Um, he worked as a paddock host and morning line odds maker for Sam Houston. Uh, joined the racing forum in 1995. Uh, covers races from all across the country, but uh, basically he kind of stays in his backyard, I think, and really covers the the Kentucky circuit. Uh, so uh, with me right now is, is Byron King. Byron, I'm going to miss seeing you over at Turfway Park this meet. Yeah, it's a shame. You know, I think we all kind of. Um... You know, with the lack of the Kentucky Cup there, it was really a blow, I think, for, for racing fans everywhere. That was a, a very unique and um, had such a, a great history of the event. You know, I, I look back at some of the the Breeders' Cup winners that ran in those races, um, Kentucky Derby horses, uh, yeah, you know, and to think that it's not happening is a very sad state of affairs, but... You know, Turfway is just kind of limping along right now, and, and we all kind of know what the situation is in Kentucky, and, and um, they're just in a very, very um, challenging environment. And, and, and sadly, uh, even with the reductions to their stake schedule, you know, their everyday purses are, are very, very uh, moderate. Um, so they're, they're in a, quite a period of crisis, I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, I know, and I've got a lot of friends that, that that work and race over there, so it'll be interesting to see if they can turn the corner. But certainly shocking news to me this week, and I don't know if it was for you, you're such an insider, was the fact that Churchill is requesting September dates. What's your read on that? Well, I, it doesn't altogether surprise me, um, you know, uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, the, Churchill is kind of a... Um, they're they're one of the two premier tracks, obviously in the state. You know, with Keeneland being the other one, and and uh, Keeneland's more associated with sales than they are necessarily with racing. Uh, the, the racing meets are are certainly important to them, but they're ultimately, I think, where the bulk of their revenue comes from, and where they their bread and butter is certainly the sales, and and the meets complement it. Um, so for Churchill Downs, running those days would be um, preferable to them. I think horsemen in general, as long as they could maintain, if it wouldn't dilute the purses too much by running those extra days, I think they would support it. 
because right now, unfortunately, what's happening for people that run in Kentucky is it's very much of a, a very fragmented um, circuit. You can't really run here year-round, and, and my fear is that ultimately, um, you know, Kentucky, unless they can get some kind of alternative gaming, may have to go in a, in a seasonal kind of format, kind of like New Jersey does. Um, so, you know, September would fall fall well for, for Churchill Downs in terms of people coming back from Saratoga and so forth, and um, you know, I mean, ultimately, if if Turfway can't get it done, um, it doesn't, you know, survive all the fittest, I suppose. Well, now, one track that seems to be uh, a pretty fit right now in Kentucky is Kentucky Downs, who's actually looking to uh, expand their product. Uh, I, I trust you've been there. It's a great place. It is. It's quite, and for your fans that haven't been there, it's a... <laughs> It's kind of like a, for those that have seen the movie Field of Dreams, it's kind of like that, you know. <laughs> it's like a track, you know, this track built literally in the middle of, um, well, uh, uh, nowhere, nowhere almost. Uh, well, it, it, you can see it from the very first rest stop as you come up from Tennessee to Kentucky. You can literally, as you go out, let your, your dog use the, the, the outdoor facilities. You can see the track in the background. That's how close it is to Tennessee. And it was built, obviously, with the goal of positioning itself to draw from people from the Nashville area, you know. Uh, I suppose in some respects, um, you know, a little bit like Turfway, although the area is a little more populated in northern Kentucky than it is in southern Kentucky. But anyway, they've been successful because of something called instant racing, which is a... um, It's considered paramutual, but it's a slot-like game that's based on past... Um, horse races that have been run and uh, they've been successful in it I believe probably more so than any other track in Kentucky would be and that would be from the standpoint that Tennessee might be one of the only other states that's even further behind Kentucky in terms of alternate gaming so uh, for someone in Tennessee that wants to play a slot or a slot like machine it's kind of the only thing around so uh, for, for our listeners here on Winning Ponies, there's a great blog on Winning Ponies uh, called Pleasureville, which describes a trip uh, down to uh, the Kentucky Downs and, and how unique it is. And uh, this uh, this weekend is really uh, going to be their headliner. They've got four stakes, and I've thrown the, the challenge to you to, to handicap a race that uh, was really fun to look at. Now, the other good thing about Kentucky Downs is they normally get really big fields. This is an eight-horse field, but you can make a case for about half of the eight in here. It's the mile-and-a-half, uh, 16th running of the Kentucky Turf Cup, and it's a, and it's a graded stakes race. Uh, what, what caught your eye in here, Byron? Well, uh, first of all, the, ra- the obvious headliner is a horse by the name of Rahi Strada, who won the race last year and who was... Uh, in a dead heat for third in the Arlington Million. He is your favorite. However, uh, I'm going to try to beat him, and I feel pretty confident in the horse I'm going to try to beat him with, and that is Ioia Big Time. Ioia Big Time is a horse that has really relished these long-distance races. He won the Stars and Stripes handicap at Arlington at the mile-and-a-half distance uh, with a 101 buyer speed figure back in July for trainer Chris Block, and then he came back 
in the inaugural running of the American St. Leisure, a $400,000 race that was a part of the Arlington Million undercard, and it had all gobs of Europeans in it, and this horse gave the European favorite all he wanted. And so even though his number wasn't as flashy, he got a 93, you know, to me, I thought his race was outstanding. And Europeans, in my opinion, are, are vastly superior marathoners on a whole than American horses. So to me, this horse has really good form and somewhat deceptive because that last race, it, it doesn't show as, it, as being graded, and it wasn't, but that's because it was its inaugural running. But right. let me tell you, it was a good race. I mean, yeah. 400000 and and as part of the Arlington Million card, they showed up. You know? So uh, there was some serious running in Chris Block. I mentioned in the Day of the Racing Form column that I write in the Saturday paper, you know, he's run six times down there over since, I think, 2008. You know, two wins, three seconds, one-third. I mean, he means business when he brings one down for Chicago for the Kentucky Cup, and I think he's your winner. I think Rahi Strada is a little more of a mile-and-a-quarter kind of horse. Well, I, I am not going to do that argue with Byron King, but I, I will point something out for anybody that hasn't been to Kentucky Downs, the fact that it's, a, it's an undulating course, and the, the fact that you never raced over it can really change things, and uh, Ray Strada, again, won this race last year, he, he's one for one there, um, and a little price horse is Cozy Kitten. The day I was down there last year, uh, he won kind of a minor race, uh, the, the Franklin Simpson, uh, but it was a pretty impressive uh, run. And again, uh, you know, Wes Ward, he, he's a crafty guy. I think the horse to worry about in here is Lake Drop. You, you know the success that Team Valor has in scouting horses over in Europe and bringing them over here and having success. I noticed that uh, that Grand Motion is not only going to get first Lasix in here, but is putting blinkers on. And also, you certainly don't have to worry about the weather with these horses coming over from Europe. And you're the one that stated making a case for I owe you big time how tough the European horses are when they come over here on the grass. And that's, you know, that, that's a good point. And, but I, I tell you what, I just kind of feel like he's 8-1 to one on the line. I'll be surprised if he's that high. And I, I kind of feel like people might hop on him a little more uh, from the standpoint that, you know, he is first-time Lasix. He is Team Valor. He is getting the blinkers. I mean, he's getting the, you know, the, everything thrown at him. Uh, and, um, you know, and Team Valor is, what's kind of interesting is um, Team Valor is a pretty anti-medication. I've heard Barry Irwin speak out against medication, so the addition of Lasix is a bit surprising. Um, so uh, it likely means, um, obviously, that the, the, the that he needs it, um, you know, so he, he very well may have bled in that first race unless it was in a subsequent workout. You never quite know or anything, but, uh, you know, I, I think that um, yeah, he's, he's the wild card because we really don't know what to expect. He was not a factor in the, the American St. Ledger. I owe you a big time was seven and a quarter lengths in front of him at the finish, and this horse pretty much was just even pace, but... We shall see. Uh, we, we, shall. we shall, especially see. Yeah. he was based in Italy. So, yeah. you know, my you know my personal opinion is that you know, Italian horses are not the cream of um of European racing. But at the same time, <clears throat> this race is not. You know, you don't have point of entry. Who's probably the best American long distance horse? You know, so you don't have that 
that quality of horse in here either. So he he's certainly plausible. I just think he might be a little bit bet down from his eight to one. Well, we'll see if Kentucky Downs is configured like Campanelli, where he's won <laughs> two races over there in, in Italy, including the Grade Three Premio Carlo de la Fero. Ah, very impressed. Uh, very <laughs> impressed. If I knew any Italian, I'd I'd I'd, I'd say something to you back. But I, I well, don't. you had to grow up on the north side of Syracuse. It came natural. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Byron, let's let's uh, let's move from Kentucky. Uh, over to New York right now. We've got a grade one we're going to try to tackle, uh, a mile and an eighth on their inner turf. Of course, the racing has uh, moved uh, downstate right now uh, from Saratoga to Belmont. Again, uh, it just uh, leaves my head scratching when I see a grade one with only seven horses in it, but it's, it, it's been the way of the world. But nonetheless, I think we could continue our conversation here about uh, perhaps uh, the, the strength of some European horses in here. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, which way you're going. Yeah, that's a whole other story entirely, and I'm totally with you on that. I think that it, it's a travesty that um, that these short fields are considered grade one races. I, I don't like it. I mean, obviously, sometimes big-name big horses scare other horses away, but... Um, um, the graded system, in my my opinion, is flawed. But that's all. We could spend an entire program uh, speaking about that. But back to handicapping. Uh, <laughs> my choice is. I was looking for a little value in here, and my choice is Somali Lemonade. And this is a filly who is six to one. Um, Michael Matz and Joel Rosario. Uh, she was a filly that I really thought the world of when she won her very first two starts last year. And then really had a tough post position in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies and didn't have much chance. And um, and since then, she hasn't won. But she ran a very good race in the Lake Placid at Saratoga last time out, went third. And she very, very honest, shows up every time. Uh, and I think she just keeps knocking on the door. You know, she's had some, some troubled runs in recent starts. You know, two starts ago in the Lake George, she was six, beaten the length and a quarter, and she was blocked in the late going. And I think she just kind of needs a little bit of luck. And perhaps at Belmont with some... You know, the, the wider configuration of the track, although this is run on the inner turf, but even so, uh, inner turf at Belmont is wider than most tracks. Um, right. You know, she can get a little bit of a, um, a better trip, and, you know, if she's anywhere near 6-1, to one, I think she's the value of the race. Well, I, I've got to kind of go with uh, one of the European runners in here, and, and that's the British-bred uh, Samatar. Uh, Chad Brown and Ramon Dominguez... When they joined forces at Belmont, they've been winning 39% of the time. And this is a horse that just barely got beat after being bumped early uh, in the uh, Lake George up at Saratoga. Uh, the horse is a grade one winner coming over from Ireland. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, it looks like to be a, a, a top uh, two-year-old uh, winning the Tattersall's Million Two-Year-Old Phillies Trophy. Uh, and since then, um, I'm, I'm seeing again, you know, you, you hear it all the time, gee, the horses in Europe don't run on Lasix. Well, first start in the United States, running on Lasix, and the horse has been training lights out up at Saratoga. And uh, I just wonder if 
you know, if it was a bleeder or if it Lasix has helped. Uh, when I see something, when I see a horse flourish like that, uh, I got to give them an extra look when they go to post. Well, that's good. all. Those are, are points that are very well taken. I certainly can't fault her form. Um, she, you know, showed some some real quality overseas. You know, she's made over six hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. She's very, very good. Um, she ran at some big tracks. You know, in contrast to the warhorse that we were, you know, we were talking about um, at Kentucky Downs. I mean, this is a horse that ran at Ascot and Longchamp and Newmarket, and I mean, that is is the cream of, of European racing. So. Um, this horse looks like a good one, and the owner too. We should point out Martin Schwartz has had a lot of success importing um, fillies from Europe and and developing them into top class horses with um, a prominent horse, Agora, who's running right now. Chad Brown has the horse as one of them. Um, you know, years ago he was with Patrick Biancone and had a lot of success with the same kind of angle. So. Um, Certainly formidable. I just, you know, I, I sit there and I'm, I'm looking eight to five on the morning line, and that's just to me is a little, little, little too low if she, if she sticks to that. Okay. Well, listen. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit here. Uh, let's go up to Canada. A lot of interesting uh, races. Of course, uh, the Woodbine Mile will be uh, the headliner. Wise Dan uh, is going to go up there. He'll be the six to five favorite uh, for Chuck Lepresti. That that whole family's been doing good. But we're we're going to turn back to two races where we might get a line on some Breeders' Cup horses because they're both. Breeders' Cup win and you're in races. Uh, kind of reminds me of the two races we did from uh, Chicago last week. Uh, you've got the, the Natalma uh, for Phillies, and then you've got the, uh, the Summer Stakes for boys at Woodbine. Uh, they will be going on the turf one mile, uh, so uh, be interesting to see where they show up on the Breeders' Cup card, most probably Breeders' Cup juvenile turf. Um, let's start with the Natalma which is uh, the, the girls' edition, it's kind of interesting. The horses that jump off the paper to me that are, as this race is in Canada, are the Kentucky, New York, and Chicago shippers. I'm with you. That You know, I settled on a, on a, um, a horse that raced at Saratoga last down. The most recent work has been in Kentucky, so got the best of both worlds, I guess. But um, that horse is Kittens Dumplings. Um, this is a race, by the way, that, in my opinion, consistently year after year proves to be just a fantastic race and, and a very key prep for uh, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. Um, uh, you know, this is just they, you know, dreaming of Anna, I believe, won it years ago. Uh, well, actually, she won the Juvenile Phillies on the dirt, but she won it some years ago. And I believe, if my memory serves me, um, uh, more than real, what was it? she won it, uh, the Juvenile Phillies, a year or two back. And I, I believe she might have been second in this race. So, I mean, it, it this does bear watching. I mean, it's a very, very important race for handicappers to watch for down the road. And also... Uh, Woodbine, because of its configuration, uh, they run outside the main track. So you've got a really good long stretch. I think it's very formful. Uh, if you can save a little bit of ground and then just angle out in the stretch, you know, 
you're, the best horse is going to win. So, um, but this is a very full field. Probably of all the races, Joan, that we're talking about, it's it's definitely the best wagering race. I mean, uh, 15 of them entered, 14 in the body of the race. So, unbelievable. Very interesting. I'll just make some quick comments before we go on uh, to the summer stakes. The other horses that, that I pointed out were uh, Rajiv Marab, the, the jockey's going to be riding Summer of Fun coming in from Saratoga. Jesse Campbell riding for Wayne Catalano on Incredible Journey. And uh, Xavier Castellano in with Todd Pletcher uh, on Coconut Shrimp. So all these horses coming off wins on the turf. You are right, Byron. This is one of the most competitive races you're going to see all weekend long. Well, uh, I've only got a couple minutes left, and I don't want to leave out the summer stakes because uh, this is the boys' version. And again, you know, two-year-olds on the turf, it, it leads us with some interesting angles and some really top connections in here, including recently Hall of Fame inducted uh, Roger Adfield has. Are you kidding me? He has. Are you kidding me? Is that uh, there? You, oh, I thought I thought you were commenting on his Hall of Fame induction for a second. <laughs> no, 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 worthy of it. No, no, that's the name of his horse. But also, you know, I see people like like uh, uh, Mark Frostad, who just dominates Canada. You got you got Wes Warden here. You never know what he's got up his sleeve. Uh, you, you've got uh, this Woodbine uh, horse that just broke its maiden, Mercenary. I mean, uh, you could find a price in here, and I think there's angles galore. I think so. You know, I, the horse that I settled on is Indiana Jones. I just turned my page and saw that Mark Cassie trains that horse. Yes, Indiana Jones. Uh, this is a horse that they bought uh, earlier this year at OBS for $425,000 uh, by APND out of a touch gold mare. So bred to go on, run long. Um, so this horse was outrun first time out racing on the synthetic in a race that came off the turf and then showed vast improvement second time out, showing a lot more speed, pulling away um, for, for a nice victory over another horse that's in the race um, by the name of um, uh, Best Play. So um, this is uh, this horse apparently won a very good maiden race, certainly cost a lot, has the pedigree, uh, I like that the horse is kind of um, drawn outside some of the other ones to wear uh, in a relatively shorter field. I don't mind that at all no. um, because they have a chance to kind of clock and see what's happening to the horses to their inside. And so uh, I think this horse shows a lot of promise. Some of the other ones to me had a little more question marks to them. I don't think this race is on paper as strong as the Philly counterpart. Um, I just I just don't get that, that impression. Um, but um, I think that Indiano Jones is, is certainly the one for me. He sits at four to one and uh, looks very, very uh, capable. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Byron King uh, picking Indiana Jones in the summer stakes. I appreciate your your time so very much, Byron. I again, I enjoy your handicapping uh, and your writing for the Daily Racing Forum. I gotta go. All right, John. You have a great one, my friend, and I appreciate the opportunity to be on your fine program. All right, Byron King, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, tune into our podcast. Tell your friends about it. Hope we gave you some winners from high atop the grandstand, overlooking the turf course, past the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky. I'm John Engelhart. Bet with your head. Not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. 
Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.